RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Gameprint.net. We thank them and our patrons for their support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 407 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, April 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. Well, Anthony needed this week off, but we've still got a show to do. So, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we were trekking out Tignataro's appearance on The Late Show. Then we head to Twitter for a few interview shorts. And Alex Kurtzman gives TV Insider a look into the future of Discovery. And in our on-screen segment, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between our episodes each week. So, don't forget to reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod, or you can send us an old-fashioned email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, one of the best ways that you can interact with your favorite shows on the Roddenberry Podcast Network is to come and see us at an event in your area. Just this past weekend, I was at WonderCon in Anaheim, California, and it was wonderful meeting some Star Trek fans face-to-face. And if you will be in the Washington, D.C. area at the end of April, consider making the trek over to AwesomeCon, where Sue and Jera from our sister podcast, Women at Warp, will be appearing on several Star Trek-themed panels. AwesomeCon is on from April 26th through 28th at the Walter E. Washington Convention Center in Washington, D.C. For more information on upcoming events from around the network, keep an eye on our social media channels. But before we move on, we do have to take a moment to thank our patrons, because with their support, we can continue to produce this show from week to week. We can upgrade our equipment, make sure that the servers keep running, and make sure that you receive this episode every Friday. If you're curious about what you get for becoming a patron, Visit patreon.com forward slash priority one. We have several tiers for you to choose from. For instance, at just $5, you can join a special chat group where we discuss everything happening that week, whether it's Star Trek Discovery or news that might come up. So be sure to check us out over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. And finally, we want to let you know that there is still time to donate to Pop Culture Hero Coalition's Heroic Campaign at priorityonepodcast.com forward slash heroic. National Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month may be over, but you can still make a difference. Pop Culture Hero Coalition is raising money to support the Heroic Campaign, which aims to help seriously disabled children in schools by teaching them critical mental health and life skills, 
and it aims to teach children around them how to be good allies. And it gets better. When you donate to this GoFundMe campaign, every dollar you contribute will be matched by the Roddenberry Foundation. We've raised over $2,000 so far, but we still want to make it to $6,000. So once again, this is a GoFundMe fundraiser, but the easy address to remember is PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. That'll redirect you. So please, as you're listening to this, head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic and make a small donation. It will make a huge difference in a child's life. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. With only three episodes left in the second season of Star Trek Discovery, you may be wondering, will we see Jet Reno again this season? The short answer is yes. Making an appearance on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, comedian actor Tig Notaro talked a bit about being an unknowing seatmate with Colbert on a train between DC and New York, her children's terrible twos, and Star Trek. She even showed off a clip from an upcoming episode of Discovery. Well, not much was said about the clip other than it took place in sickbay, but it proves that Nataro will be back, and she hasn't lost her edge. Check out the show notes for a link to the clip. Oh my god. I... <laughs> Okay, so I watched this earlier this afternoon, and it's hilarious. Now, I loved Tignataro's appearance earlier in the season. The whole thing about the, like, oh, I can fix that with some duct tape was just wonderful. Um, and, and, and this as well. She says this line in there that I have to say on the show because it's so funny. She's talking about a hangnail. She has a hangnail, which is why she goes to sickbay. She goes, it's one of two things currently impeding my work. And, and he asks what the other thing is. And, and she says... An idiot that came back from the dead, and his name rhymes with poo. <laughs> it's just like, it's terrible. It's stupid, and it's so funny. It's so funny, and the little chemistry between the two of them, I loved it. I loved it. I'm so looking forward to her coming back. Yeah, I'm really sad that she hasn't been more of a key player in this season of Discovery. She's just, uh, she was a gem in, in the episodes that we saw her in. She really injected some great comedies. And, you know, it's it wasn't even over the top. It was mm -hmm. just, it was somebody that you might have working with you in, in any workplace. Just somebody who's short, curt, and to the point. You know, no BS and sarcastic. It was just, just delightful, and I wish I saw more of her. Now, if you have seen this week's Star Trek Discovery, you will likely have noticed the fight scene between Michelle Yeoh and Alan Van Sprang. Its epicness was not lost on Van Sprang, who discussed the experience in a Star Trek Discovery Twitter short. He said, quote, It's intimidating, but you're safe because Michelle knows distance and knows how to fight. And when she's kicking, her feet are going over my six-foot frame easily. But it's extraordinary, and she's such a great teacher that I feel really safe with her. End quote. Now, um, I did a little bit of research. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, what? He's six foot tall. He's six one. She's five four. But he seems so short compared to everybody. <laughs> like, what what are these giants? Like is is Anson Mount like seven feet tall? What about what about um no. Shazad Latif? Shazad Latif I mean, is God, really he... tall. Yeah, I don't know how tall oh he is. Oh my goodness. I should look that up. But no, um, I love that fight scene. It, it's um, it's ridiculous. 
Okay, so uh, taking us back to STLV last year, they had um, the costume display for Star Trek Discovery, and one of the costumes that they had on display was the Mirror Giorgio uniform, right? And I don't know if you saw it. It's tiny. Yeah. It is so small. It's like a child's costume. It's so tiny. She's five foot four inches tall, and like you can see, I mean, she's wearing boots, but her foot is like way over his head. And he's really tall. Um, right. It was pretty incredible. Um, I think, I mean, I don't know. Are American audiences familiar with her? Because she's super, super famous. And, you know, everyone knows yeah. her for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and the sequel. But she was also in Tomorrow Never Dies, Reign of Assassins. There was a mm -hmm. Mummy sequel that she was in. Like, she's hardcore action hero. Um, yeah. yeah. And it was it's kind of wonderful to see her up against this, like, huge burly guy. It's great. In another Twitter short, Alex Kurtzman and Alan Van Sprang talk about control, what motivates it, and the challenge of portraying it. In regards to its motivation, Kurtzman said, quote, in its analysis, it realizes that organic life and human and alien inability to fully come together is inefficient, and that the best way to proceed is to eliminate all organic life. It won't be reliant on anything that we organic creatures need, and it will be an evolutionary step, end quote. Van Sprang, who plays Section 31, director Leland, talks about the challenge that goes with playing artificial intelligence. Quote, Doing the AI is a little more difficult, because when you're given an amount of dialogue and you can't be human about it, you just have to say it straightforward, and it's just all the facts to a computer, basically. End quote. Check out the link in the show notes for a link to those interviews. I, I take a little bit of um, of issue actually with this. Um, I think that I think the way he's kind of approached the AI character and mannerisms is a very twenty first century way of thinking about it. Because I don't know if you've seen like, have you seen the the videos of like where they've reproduced Barack Obama's face and yeah, voice? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think um, that current technology for voice inflection and character is actually more advanced than he's talking about. I understand that sort of from a production value, they need to make it clear that it's the AI talking and not Leland, but I, I'm not convinced that that's particularly the right way to approach it. It's fine. I can tell who's right, Leland, he's, and he's he, not data. No, he's not data. You you could tell you can tell that it's it's Leland being controlled, which is for an audience member is probably the right thing but um but yeah i would have thought that actually the ai would be totally indistinguishable right and i mean you know we can probably talk a little bit more about this in, in on screen but in, in his portrayal Giorgio says to him well you're awfully resolute today if i were to give a note write a directorial note i might say okay you're you're having a bad day just everything is to the point yeah you know, and so, and that's how he seemed to have portrayed it. It wasn't like, Tyler, you need to go and get the sphere data, right? It wasn't robotic in any way. He was, in fact, just Leland on a on a on, with a with a mission. I still think it would have, because this is control from the future, having come back, trying to manifest itself. Uh, I would have thought that, you know, uh, in the twenty mid twenty third century, and then plus another five hundred years, you would actually clearly oh. pass that test. You would not be able at all to distinguish it from a human. Hold on a second. The control that takes over Leland is not future control. It's, yes, this it is. is. 
Control never comes back from the future yet. Hasn't come back from the future yet. Yes, it did. No, it hasn't. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to the talk about this control... later. Yeah. The the control so they killed control that hadn't been upgraded yet. That was on the space station. Yeah, when does control come back from the future? It came back in that uh in the squiddy thing. The control from the No, they destroyed Oh, you the, weren't here last the year the, uh, last week. I talked about this with Anthony. So the squiddy thing came back from the future. It's the highly advanced AI, right? It got in. It infected Arium. Arium sent the message to section 31 that it infected control. Yeah. So the AI has come uh, back to infect control. Yeah. yeah. You missed that piece where yeah, we we puzzled yeah. through that last year cuz they paradox. they um they talked about that in last week's episode. I think Saru made reference to the AI that had infected control and Arium um, so it was kind of it was clear that the way they had written it was that it sort of had come back to infect itself it wasn't it wasn't that clear so we've got some more from Alex Kurtzman as well the Star Trek showrunner sat down with TV Insider to discuss the future of Star Trek Kurtzman confirmed the return of number one saying quote we saw her this season and she is coming back end quote he also teased the future of Pike, telling the website, quote, So if you know what happened to Pike, you'll see shades of that, however not in the ways that you expect, end quote. Finally, Kurtzman was asked about cameos, including the original series stars William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols. He said, quote, We would love to do that. When we brought Leonard into Star Trek, it was because the story literally could not be told without him. So there was a very specific reason for him to be there. When you bring a beloved actor and beloved character back, it has to be for an equally necessary reason. It can't be just to throw them into a scene, because then it's random fan service and people don't like that. But anything's possible. Always in the world of Star Trek, anything is possible. End quote. Oh, wait, Spock in the... He's t he, he's, ta he's talking about fan service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's talking about the J uh, the the JJ movies. Yeah, uh, which is uh, kind of funny. Yeah, he's he's that's funny cr crossing the timelines there a little bit, but that's okay. Quite a bit, yeah. quite a bit. So, Kenna, this weekend you were quite busy over at uh, WonderCon. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what went on? Well, we had a panel that was on Saturday evening. It was actually a really good crowd because it was kind of after the the exhibition hall floor had closed, and it was just. And it was just upstairs from where the exhibition hall was. That's one of the nice things about WonderCon. It's kind of smaller. Uh, there were some familiar faces there, actually. Some people that I know from STLV or just from, you know, online on the web. Um, so it was great to see them there and supporting us. Uh, the panel was made up of me, Larry Nemechek, uh, Ken Ray from Mission Log, and Anthony Pasquale, who's from TrekMovie.com. And it was kind of a follow-on to uh, one we did last year at San Diego Comic-Con, where we were talking about fandom, online culture, toxic fan culture, uh, and particularly as it relates to reactions to Star Trek Discovery. So we had, um, we had a little bit of a discussion about um, like fan fear about new forms of Star Trek, uh, how fan opinions have changed with season two and whether that's actually a reflection of the quality of season two or whether that was just because we're all getting used to it. Uh, and we talked a little bit about um, how you can disengage from a negative online fan culture. So it was some really interesting stuff. Hopefully we'll have some audio that you guys can listen to here uh, in the near future. But the best part, I sent you a picture, Elijah. The best part was that Bijo Trimble came to our panel. It was very exciting. She turned up right at the beginning. And so we got to meet her. And then... Um, she stayed and listened. Um, turns out her favorite series is Deep Space Nine. 
Um, and then afterwards, we just all kind of milled around outside the room. Um, there was quite a few people from the um, LA away team that were there. And I got to talk to Bijo Trimble for like an hour. And she's wonderful. She's like, I, I want her to be like an extra grandma. She's just fantastic. She's so comfortable in these situations. She's been doing these Star Trek conventions for like 50 years. Um, and uh, she had some good advice about um, cosplay as well. So it's a, a real. Why, why don't you treat. remind everybody who uh, who she is? Oh, sorry. Yeah. So Bijo and John Trimble, um, they well, they're largely credited with saving Star Trek. So after the the second series of the original series was canceled, they helped spearhead a letter writing campaign that kept it on for a third season. And um, for those of us who know the history. You know, there's a very good chance that if that third season hasn't hadn't happened, we wouldn't still all be here. It would have been, you know, this show that happened in the 1960s and then went away again. So, yeah, so she's kind of a huge figure in Star Trek history. It's kind of cool. She is the the first ultra fan. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you had a good time and that there was a good turnout to the to the panel. Hopefully we can recreate something like that in future panels and future conventions. Uh, and don't forget, as we mentioned in the intro for this show, there are events coming up where members of the Roddenberry Podcast Network will be in attendance. Well, Captain, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. But before we move on, it's time for a word from our friends at Gameprint.net. Captains, there is no question that ships play a vital role in the Star Trek mythos. They take on a life of their own, and they end up being just as important as any character from the series, whether it be the Enterprise, Voyager, Defiant, and even Discovery. Now, for those of you who play Star Trek Online, part of the immersive experience of that game is being able to command some of the most iconic ships from the franchise, or command a completely new and unique design that you can customize in the game. Now, close your eyes and imagine displaying your ship proudly for all to see, not just in the virtual space, but in real space, on your coffee table, at your desk. Hang it from your dashboard. Now that's where GamePrint comes in. GamePrint gives you the ability to 3D print your ship from Star Trek Online. Now, even if you don't play Star Trek Online, you don't have to worry because you can explore an immense library of ships that other players have already uploaded to Gameprint.net. And best of all, you can rename any of those ships to whatever you want with whatever registry you want. With options starting at just $19.99 for a 4-inch color print, there is no reason why you shouldn't add a unique starship to your collection, customized just for you. And when you use code PRIORITY20 at checkout, you'll save 20% on your order. That's code PRIORITY20 at checkout to save 20% off your very own customized starship at Gameprint.net. Computer, set Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity, on screen. On screen. Well, Captains, welcome to On Screen where we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. This week, Season 2, Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity. Michael Burnham is alive, and so is her mother. 
After at least 841 missions, Dr. Gabrielle Burnham, Michael's mom, has been trying unsuccessfully to stop Control from obtaining the ancient sphere data. Data that the Control AI will use to become sentient and destroy all life in the galaxy. But Gabrielle isn't the only surprise survivor. Leland, you know, the guy who caught a full ice pick directly in his eye, he is also alive until Control takes over his meatbag body using the Section 31 director as its newest pawn. Gabrielle, who has been anchored 950 years into the future by the angel suit, wants a meeting with Captain Pike, but not with Michael. She explains that the fate of all life depends on Discovery's ability to deny Control's access to the sphere data, even if that means deleting the invaluable archive. After some debate, the crew attempt to purge the information, but the stubborn sphere files refuse to be deleted. They hatch another plan. Dr. Burnham's angel suit, which time is increasingly attempting to reclaim into the future, will be seeded with the sphere files and sent to a point in the far future, rendering the information useless to control. Control, however, through Leland, is working its own agenda. After failing to convince Tyler to spy on Discovery, it manipulates Giorgio into downloading the Sphere Library to Section 31 and kill Dr. Burnham. Giorgio, during a discussion with Michael's mother, realizes that Leland is being controlled by Control and reaches out to Tyler for help. On Discovery, Spock reveals that Section 31 has been downloading the AI files. It all gets very Crouching Tiger on ESOF 4, but after the destruction of the containment field, the presumed loss of Dr. Burnham and her time suit, and the escape of Leland with at least 46% of the ultra-important sphere data, we must wait until the end. All right, so what kind of touchstones did we discover this episode? It's hard to ignore the association and similarities to Control's manipulation to that of Borg nano-assimilation. Oh, God, you said it. <laughs> really hard. Really, really hard. But with respect to previous Trek, the one that was blaring was when Gabrielle, not Gabriel. Not Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> tells, uh, foreshadows Pike's future, right? She says, you know, I, I tell you about your future, but I don't think you'd like it, right? And that ends up being that, you know, he gets into that that accident that leads him back to Talos Four. So that was that was interesting. You know, she, she knows what's going to happen to him. Well, uh, no, true, but the, the, the fact that he goes back to Talos Four, he's actually going to live out his the rest of his life believing that he's bounding through the daisies with Vina, right? So that's fine, but I wonder, did Burnham see him, Dr. Burnham, sorry, did, did she see him, like, partway through? <laughs> what was she doing spying on him? That's what I want to know. Ah, uh, who knows? I, I, I think it's very much related to his being injured so badly that, you know, she just, she's not going to tell him, like, hey, don't do that thing that you're going to yeah. do yeah. later on. Because otherwise you'll end up on Talos 4 in a, you know, blinking yes or no. I wanted to point out actually a little callback that Dr. Burnham mentions in one of her mission logs, which is that she talks about that her planet is Terralesium. And I'm trying to recall, I don't think we've actually talked about Terralesium except sort of in passing to say that one of the, the angel visits was over it. I don't think we've talked about it since like, what was that, episode 2 or 3 of this season? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, mean yeah. we as fans, we've been talking about Terralesium the whole time, going, it's gotta mean something, it can't just stand on its own, it has to, you know, be important somehow. But I think the characters really haven't thought that much about Terralesium up until this point, so it's really interesting. Right, and for her to mention it, and for, her to, for it to be such a plot point, she goes on to say that she chose the planet because there was no history of technology mm -hmm. there, which she believed would keep her safe from control, but does she not know that Pike 
gave them a battery? Was she unawares? Or ha and also has the colony expanded in 950 years, right? Yeah. Is she on a planet that that is has not been touched by control and control's unaware of it, so they're thriving? Has the angel returned to them? Or did control get there too? Like what, you know, there, there's, there's a hole there. This wasn't answered in this episode, but maybe will be answered later. I just wanted to talk about the B word, okay? Because you kind of dropped that bomb in there and then moved very quickly onto, onto the next thing. A lot of people are talking about, are we seeing the origins of the Borg right now? Yes, people are talking about it. There are significant similarities. And I'm going to, we're going to start with our mm -hmm. cons, what we didn't like about this episode. There are some remarkable similarities to what control has evolved into and what we know of as the Borg, starting with assimilation, right? Control ultimately assimilates Leland and controls him like a puppet using nanotechnology. Green, little green nanotech, which is even more similar and more symbolic to the, to the Borg color scheme. It's like Varsity Borg, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. In that scene, just before Control takes over Leland, they use the word, they use the phrase, struggle is pointless, <laughs> which, I mean, it could very well be coincidence, but I feel like somebody in the writing writer's room maybe had not, maybe didn't know anything about Star Trek and was like, what if they say resistance is futile? No, 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 we can't say it. All right, well, what can we say? Well, let's open up the, the thesaurus. Okay, resistance. Uh, struggle um, is futile, 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 uh, pointless. Struggle is pointless. We'll say that instead. <laughs> Is this just another Armist situation where they have these blinders on to some of Star Trek's history, the, the film history, got, dare I say, canonical history? Going a step further, you know, Leland or Control Leland adapts to Giorgio's fighting right. style, right? He gets his ass whooped at first, and then he starts to adapt. He can now- He's predicting. Predict and block her movements and counter her, her attack. So it's very, very familiar and reminiscent to the Borg. Now, in Star Trek, we, in canon, right? Anything that has been on screen in motion picture or small television, we have never really had a origin story for the Borg. There was an origin story in one of the video games that linked to V'ger, and it's an interesting video. You can find it on YouTube, just YouTube origin of the Borg, but there's no origin story for the Borg. What we do know is that in Enterprise, right? This is now after First Contact. In Enterprise, it is discovered that two Borg drones survived the onslaught on Earth, right? They, they survived First Contact, the movie First Contact, and th they try to manufacture a beacon to summon the Borg to Earth and, you know, reassimilate Earth, blah, blah, blah. Look, here's the question. Here's what really matters here. Here's what really matters. Do we want this to be an origin story for the Borg? No. No, it's right? just, oh, no. no. It's, I, I wouldn't put it past them. Look, they've brought Spock back to our screens, which nobody wanted. I wouldn't be surprised, but that is, boy, you know, telling the Borg origin story would be like, not just wading in at the deep end. It would be like wading into a shark infested pool of water that is that is filled. It's not even water. It's filled with boiling acid. All right. That would be like, boy, I just, why would you do that to yourself as a writer? I really hope that doesn't happen. I think it will 
Me, personally, I don't know, I haven't figured out how it would fit in. Me, personally, I would feel like a massive, massive letdown, and I hope that's not what we're seeing. I can't believe it. I just, I can't, I won't believe it. There's discussion that First Contact really diminished how ominous the Borg were, right? We've had this discussion with, with even Al Rivera, right? That in TNG, the Borg were a force, right? Like locusts, yeah. right? They were just a force yeah. of nature. And then in First Contact, they diminished that a little bit with the Borg Queen and you know oh no in fact they're not mindless drones they serve a, a, a master yeah. so to speak I don't know I don't know that I don't want an origin story for the Borg I just don't want it to be in Discovery my con was really about there's a lot of sci-fi in this episode which I think comes across as very good sci-fi it's like strong sci-fi but a lot of it you have to take with quite a large pinch of salt and just kind of go, all right, I'll let you have that one. So we have some issues there where there is no explanation at all why Gabrielle is is tethered 950 years in the future. It feels like an arbitrary number. It's just, it kind of, you know, maybe they're going to explain it, but in the context of this episode, I don't, I don't understand at all. I don't get it. They don't explain how she moves in space because when she first jumps, she's in the middle of nowhere. Like, Literally, she's in the middle of space. And then I don't understand how she ends up on a planet. How did she get to Terralisium? Because that's, I mean, unless it's like, unless she's got little thrusters and she's like right next door on Doctari Alpha. I, there was a lot I didn't understand. I think it was okay. Actually, one of my pros was that there were a bunch of little moments in this episode that kind of grabbed me and actually made me feel invested. So I was willing to kind of let some of that slide like maybe we'll figure it out maybe we won't it's okay but star trek is usually better sci-fi than that and it was a little disappointing but i'm letting it go uh, you know i will give them i'm gonna give them some space to explain those things because to to my understanding it's a time suit right not a space suit so how is she using a space suit to Across 50,000 light years in that same time frame, right? Now, I know that, Ro that, that Dr. Robert Hurd is watching, and from a physics point of view, look, he even said it. Traveling through time isn't that different from traveling through space as well. <laughs> but that's another can of worms best avoided. I was already a few steps ahead of the game there that, that you know, if you watch something like Interstellar, some, some time and space are... I know I'm, I'm destroying this, but almost interchangeable or one in the same. Sides or, of a coin. Or sides of a coin, right, the sides of a coin. So I will forgive that. What bothers me are the little things, like the minutia things. Like, how were they helping Dr. Burnham when she was in a- Yeah, how did they get the little, like, the little if, breathy thingies in there? <laughs> right, how did they get the breathing thing on her? How did they get her to lie down on the, on the bench? Right, like, it's those little things. Those little things that, that kind of make me go, uh, can't we, why couldn't Burnham cross through at that point? I guess, you know, because the Graviton thing was pulling so badly that it, in that little focused area would have been a bad idea. I don't know, it's those little things. Those but that wasn't things. what the episode was about. And I, I think they, I, I do think in, in this episode, the writers were probably conscious that there was a little bit of, it's fine. <laughs> And they focused on what the action was really about. And I think this is probably one of your pros as well, that we moved the story along. Yes, yes. So this episode, and, and I'll give it to the last episode as well. We are finally starting to see the key moments and the key plot points from this entire season starting to make sense. You know what? It's not that it, 
making sense makes it think as if though it was too convoluted to understand. No, it wasn't. What we're starting to see are the plot points, the key points, the things that were like in neon lights yeah. start to come together, right? Now it's starting to actually tell a story. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, this episode was directed by Maya Vervilo, and I want to give credit to her because I agree. that The, the things that I saw that, that really drew me in, that were small moments, they were, I think they're a continuation of what I've said in previous weeks where the writers, while the larger story, I think, has a few problems, the smaller pieces, the dialogue, and the little character moments that they're choosing are actually really well-crafted. And there's a couple particular scenes that I really noticed that were down to direction. And the one we talked about earlier in Trek It Out, which was the fight scene between Leland and Giorgio, I thought was extremely well done. And then there was that scene on the bridge of the Section 31 ship where we know that Leland's been taken over and Ash Tyler and Giorgio do not. And there's this really cool little scene where they're going, something's not right. And where I complained earlier in the season about like exposition to the nth degree, this was the exact opposite. They just, they played their roles, they said what they were supposed to say, and, and it was like the whole scene was like all body language, except for the end where Giorgio was like, well, you're, well, I forget what she said, but she's, she commented that he was being very forceful that day. But it's little facial twitches and squinty eyes and it was really really well done and contributed to me getting drawn in in a way that made me forget about some of the maybe uh, squiffy sci-fi stuff yeah you know i i think of that scene right where there's urgency happening where several things are happening at the same time so Giorgio is fighting with leland and then burnham stamets and non are figuring out what needs to happen there was urgency there and i think back to when they were in the mycelial network saving colber and there was no urgency, right? And, and so, so this is definitely a great step in that right direction of pacing and whilst not sacrificing good story without sacrificing yeah. pacing. Right, without sacrificing the pace of the, of the scene and what needs to happen. So again, you know, this was after 11 hours of discovery. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is this was a great episode. I thought last week was also very strong. I I'm looking forward to how they're going to piece everything together. I have a theory, and I'm going to share my theory as my final thought. My theory is that Burnham takes on the suit front somehow, or or her mom takes on the suit successfully time warps back to the hour before the Klingons invade and Burnham never gets adopted by Spock's family. And that's why we never hear about Spock because she successfully avoids the whole Klingon thing and bada bing bada boom. That's my theory. But that theory doesn't necessarily work out because we have season three of Discovery coming out next next year so that doesn't necessarily work well on that note that wraps up this week's on screen next week we'll be tackling season two episode 12 of discovery through the valley of shadows and we want to hear your thoughts so send us what you thought of the episode either via social media or email us at incoming at priority one podcast.com and your comments could be part of the discussion next week and for our community question this week do you want it to be a borg origin story be sure to let us know in all the ways that Kenna already explained. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other.
Well, captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 406's community question was, how do you think Star Trek Discovery Season 2 will end? Give us your best, worst, and wildest treculations. From Facebook, Daniel DiGiorgio writes in, Maxwell Smart and the Chief regain control of control, travel back in time to 1968, where they eliminate control so that control doesn't try and take over the great bird of the galaxy again. Now, this is so funny, because I used to absolutely love Get Smart. I used to watch it on Naked Night. It was just the best show ever. And when they when they started talking about control, I was like, control? Isn't that the, isn't that the name of the evil society in Get Smart? It isn't. That was chaos, I believe. Yes. And control was yeah. the good guys. But um, OMG. Yeah, I just thought that was absolutely hilarious. They can't... Mm. Oh. It was wonderful. Missed it by that much. <laughs> With a shoe phone. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> From Twitter, Jason Smith says, Assuming they want to end the season at a finished arc story, Control is defeated but not destroyed. Leland is or will be the first Borg. Just the way Control took over him in episode 11 makes you wonder. Dr. Burnham sees things change for the better, but dies. Seems in episode 11 we got a hint that the sphere data might also be AI, so that might be the reason why USS Discovery was abandoned for a thousand years in Calypso. But we won't be sure till the final season. On Facebook, Apostolos writes in, Pike and Spock are picked up by number one and the 1701. They go off on their second five-year mission, possible backdoor pilot crossover with Discovery for an episode for a Pike-centric 1701 series. Saru becomes provisional captain, and Discovery is then ordered to the Mutara Nebula, where something unexpected happens and makes us crave season three now. Hint, there's no coffee in that nebula, but there may be mushrooms. I can see where he's coming from. Why are we using the mycelial network to go back in time? Because it's been sabotaged. Remember? They haven't, they haven't fixed, fixed it yet. yet. No, which is, I think, what we're getting a hint of when Tignataro says blah, 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 because she's like, I, this is one of the things that's causing me a problem is basically Hugh, right? And I think it's going to be the uh... Hugh-Stamets relationship that's causing Stamets not to be able to fix the spore drive and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's kind of where I'm thinking that's heading. But yeah, that's why we have no spore drive. I bet you the scene right before that is going to be Tig Notaro, Jet Reno, and Stamets going at it, bickering again. Yeah, probably. Yeah. From Facebook, Keith F. Shovlin says, Timeline shenanigans. I'm expecting several things we know to be true from Disco's seasons one and two to be somehow undone by Michael in the Red Angel suit. Which is an interesting theory, actually, because last week on the show, we talked about um, at the Paley Fest how the cast and crew were expecting the end of this season not only to tie us into where we might go into TOS but also that it was going to be some kind of really explosive satisfying finale so I would not be surprised if that happened oh Keith and I share Keith and I share the theory maybe maybe season three will be sans Burnham or just human Burnham you know 100% human Burnham not I don't know who knows something something with Michael in the red angel suit Something something, Michael, Red Angel suit, something something. From Facebook, Mandalorian Honor writes in, Leland survives. His new mission is to convert other species to the control and gain all the information their species hold to rebuild what was lost in the destruction of the data. Resistance, 
will be futile. Holy crap! What? That makes even more sense now. So control evolve. So the point of the Borg is to achieve ultimate perfection and to gain as much knowledge towards that goal of perfection. Right. If the sphere had collected all of that data and the goal of the Borg is to reach perfection and gain all knowledge, mm -hmm. then Control gets mad that they, they destroyed the Borg sphere. So, so Control's purpose shifts from destroying humanity to assimilating everything. Right. Like the sphere did. Interesting. I'm telling you. This is a, this is a Borg. It's a Borg. Borg story arc. I'm telling you. It's fine. Whatevs. Is it? Is it, Kenna? Is it? But we leave that to you to answer in our community question. Well, that wraps up episode 407 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Before we go, we do have a community question for you this week. With all the similarities between Control and Borg, do you want Discovery Season 2 to be a Borg origin story? Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Twitter. Just keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with our friend Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all STO players, new and old. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, just visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. And even if you can't make a financial contribution, then help spread the word about Priority One. Invite your fellow Trekkies to get their weekly dose of Star Trek news right here. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons, Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, 
our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage. Dr. Burnham sees thing change. Excuse me. Dr. Burnham what sees thing. Rap? Did you just go into a rap? Dr. Burnham sees things change for the. I think there are a number of reasons that that would be a bad idea. <laughs> what happened? Did you just get giggly all the time? <laughs> I did get giggly because, um, because I know that sometimes our editors take a little bit of liberty with their editing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was just envisioning the future. Dr. Burnham sees thing change. Dr. Burnham sees thing change. Dr. Burnham sees things change for the Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.